This podcast is recorded on the land of the Bunurong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to Elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, the podcast created by teachers for teachers. I'm Associate Professor Rebecca Cooper, Director of Initial Teacher Education at Monash University's Faculty of Education, and I'll be your host for this series. Our aim is to create a conversational series that's informative, engaging and relevant to your teaching practice. Joined by academics and teaching alumni from Monash University, we'll be exploring the challenges, issues and experiences you might be facing in and out of the classroom, drawing on their personal experiences to provide you with valuable insights into the world of teaching. Have you ever wondered what it's like to teach in a location that's removed from the hustle and bustle of city life? In today's episode, we discuss the many benefits, opportunities and potential challenges of teaching in a rural or remote school and some of the realities you may face when integrating into a tight-knit community at the same time. The guests joining me on today's show are Professor Libby Tudbull and Blake Cutler from the Faculty of Education at Monash University, with Blake also being a former teacher in a rural community, and Adam Zito, Year 9 Pedagogy Leader, Learning Mentor and Teacher at St Anne's College in Regional Victoria. Welcome everybody. So Blake and Adam, you've both had stints in schools outside of the big smoke and Libby, you've got a really extensive research background in teaching and education in rural and remote communities. Libby, I'm going to start with you. What's your involvement in rural schools? I'd be delighted to, Beck. My involvement with rural schools goes right back to 1976 when I was a pre-service teacher myself at Camperdown secondary college and had an amazing three-week experience where not only did I learn a little bit about teaching, but uh, joined the local netball team, had drinks at the pub with all of the teachers at the end of the week, got to know families in ways that I never had a chance to before in a school community and had a great start to my education as a beginning teacher. And Libby, I'm going to echo that because I did one of my pre-service teacher placements in um, at Matoa Secondary College uh, and had the same experience, particularly around getting involved with um, with the community. So it's a, a very exciting thing. But what are you up to now in rural schools? Well, I've been at Monash for 32 years, so I see myself a little bit as the grandmother of the faculty these days. And as a faculty, we've been involved in a multitude of ways in rural schools. And over the years that I've been in many different roles, I've worked in rural schools right across the uh, Latrobe Valley, down as far as Portland, Hamilton, and more recently in the Bass Coast region, where we've at the moment got uh, about 125 students who've been on teaching practicum in early childhood, primary, secondary special developmental settings and flexible learning option schools. And I've been staying down there because that's the only way you really get to know a rural community. And you meet up with the local teachers that you've had a chat to during the day, having a counter meal in the pub at night. And this is one of the things that's really special about having that kind of practicum, that you really get to know the community and you're you're welcomed because you're a bit of a novelty. And 
the kids and the teachers enjoy the opportunity to interact with us because we come with different ideas and experiences. Really good stuff. Blake, you've had some experience in rural schools as well. How's that been for you? Yeah, mine mine actually started as a student in the lovely country town of Bellingen. I um, grew up there and went to school. And what I loved about that experience was that the school was at the real heart of the community. It was the central meeting place for everyone in the town. So I lost that a little bit when I came to the big city in Melbourne to study and found myself gravitating back towards that sort of setting for the first few years of my teaching as well as my final year practicum. Now I'm back here again, so I'm sort of going back and forth and back and forth, and I'm uh, happening to be doing a little bit of research in rural schools at the moment as well as metropolitan. So it's nice to remain connected to that sort of environment, even though I'm here more often now. And Adam, how about you? A very similar story to Blake. Um, Obviously, sort of a different ending, but yeah, started... Uh, my journey in Shepparton, born and bred Shepparton boy, and then came down after I finished my VCE to Monash. I was here for about five years and then moved back in my final year, sort of halfway between, uh, to do my final teaching placement at a school called St. Anne's. Eventually got the job there and have been there ever since and just love being back in the community. I just love being in a rural setting. It's fantastic. What is it that you love about it? I think what Libby said before, just the connections, the community, the relationships you build and the relationships that it you already form over your whole life and then you just continue to make those connections even further. So how is that if you perhaps, um, you're talking about it through a life experience, mm. you know, you grew up there, all that sort of thing. What about people who perhaps make that decision to go rural as a career option? Mm. So they're not there for the whole time, but they're coming in later. What do you think the experience is sort of like for them? Have you got some colleagues perhaps? Yeah, I'm not too sure about uh, colleagues that have moved from a uh, metro setting to rural, but I think maybe if I could give a piece of advice is to just get involved in everything that you possibly can, footy clubs, netball clubs, whatever it might be, um, and just build those connections to to your community because, you know, moving away from your hometown is a big thing. Like I've gone from rural to metro and that was such a massive move for me to get adjusted. So I think going the opposite way, you'd need to do a similar, similar thing and just get involved. And it's often getting involved with those sort of connections that are already pre-existing mm. in the schools. So, you know, because the schools are often a meeting place yep. for these sorts of towns and these these country places, you know, you'll have community gardens on mm. on the campus of the school. There'll be men's sheds for some of them. So you can actually, by just being at the school, be connected in with those sorts of opportunities within the community. You don't necessarily have to go out and forge that new path yourself. Yeah. You can you can go with the flow a little bit as well, I think. We've found in our research on these 125 students that we've had down in the Bass Coast region that what you're suggesting is exactly mm. what they've been doing. And I describe it a little bit like a nested community because they all stay in houses together that we rent through the local real estate agents. So they're eating together, preparing food, preparing lessons, reflecting on their day and talking about their experiences, which provides a really great support network for them. But then they've got each other to go and explore, to go and play, to go and go to the local fitness gym, Mm, for example, Mm. to do a bush walk at the end of the day. But they are still very much connected with their mentor teachers after hours. And that's not typical of the experience of a pre-service teacher when they're on a teaching practicum in the city. No, not at all. Libby, Mm. so when you're saying they're connected outside of hours, what, what is that connection like? What does it sort of look like? So it's being invited to go and join in on it could be a church activity 
or there's a lot of socioeconomic disadvantage in the Basque Coast region. So our pre-service teachers became involved in food bank delivery of food to families in need. They became rapidly involved in after-school homework clubs to help kids whose parents might, for example, have low literacy or who might need some support just driving their kids to something, to a medical appointment. They also became involved with the wider community organisations like Orange Door, which provides mental health support, or at the Flexible Learning Option School, the students were trying to take the kids to an experience that they would not normally have been able to afford to go to. And that's been great too. It might be a sport or it might be some kind of social or film event. There's a lot of options that our Mm. students have have grabbed because they think, well, we're not going home to our usual setting, so we may as well do it while we're here. And it's not just about connecting with say, your colleagues at your school, but it's also those connections across schools. So I remember when I first started teaching, you know, we would finish up the day at our school, but then it might have been a tutoring program at one of the other high schools if there's more than one settings in that that town. Um, And I think that's really valuable too because it's that extra support network that you're building and looping into, but there's also a degree of separation from your immediate context as well, which I think is a really valuable thing to start building when when you go into those new settings. Absolutely. And we found some of our pre-service teachers began to think of themselves not so much as teachers of subjects, but teachers of kids. And so some of their skills and attributes like playing music, playing the guitar, being a performer, being a singer, being able to cook, Things opened up and so Mm. they used their skills and attributes to build relationships with the kids in a much faster way than they would in an urban placement where at five o'clock they leave and go home Mm. rather than stay in the community, wander down the street and bump into the kids along the Mm. way. Yeah, your point there around relationships is absolutely key. You see those kids everywhere you go. So you do become more than a subject teacher. For my context, I teach generally. So I teach E9, so I'm teaching English, math, science, everything. But um, more than that, you are teaching the kids. You're, you're seeing them down the street. You're going into Woolies and you're crunching on grapes and you're talking to the kid that's um, you know doing the fruit and veg. It's fantastic. And you're, you're a mentor to them, not only at the school, but just in the wider community. You know their mum, you know their dad, you went to high school with their brother. So you just connected in every possible capacity there with them. One of the things that we found really interesting is that our research is telling us that the mentor teachers are far more open to allowing our pre-service teachers to take risks when they go into the rural community. So they'll say, well, what are you really interested in teaching? Or it's November now and we've finished our core program. What would you really like to have Mm. a go at while you're down here? They seem much freer in giving their classes over and letting the pre-service teachers stumble, if they like, but having deep longer conversations, reflective conversations about what worked, what didn't, what you might do next. This is coming through really strongly in our research. This open community environment is making a difference to our students. Like I think that sort of mentality transfers through not just in relation to the placement experience but also when you step into the school Mm. as a teacher. Like I know I was presented with opportunities within my first year that would never have been presented to me in an urban or a metropolitan school. 
like if you even if you take something as specific as leadership opportunities mm. or opportunities to take up taking charge and and even on a small project not necessarily in leading a subject or a department mm. i got the sense that there was more openness you didn't have to necessarily serve your time mm. at the school before you proved yourself to be able to take on those leadership opportunities or the leadership roles it was very much well Blake's here they're willing to contribute let's give it a go and i really got that sense it was just resonating with what you were saying libby in terms of that general openness well i can go a lot further than that <laughs> we had a forum at one of the bass coast schools and the principal led us into the room and i said oh you're very welcome to stay if you'd like to and he said well what are you doing here no one had told him he ended up staying for the whole session he offered two of our pre-service teachers a job because they happened to be potential maths teachers and he was quite sincere. He said, I can conduct the interview straight after the session because the grim reality is that we've got a real crisis in Victoria. We have a very serious teacher shortage. And one of the reasons why we as a faculty are doing this work in rural areas is we know that this is an important part of our work to renew the profession. Mm. And through an opportunity where you go and you're looked at by the local school, but you also got a chance to experience, well, what is it like to live in this community means that you have a greater propensity to actually say, okay, I'm going to apply for a job here. And in our research, we found that 65% of this 125 students said they would strongly consider going to teach in a rural school. Some of the younger ones said not immediately because they felt that their lives needed to settle a little more, but certainly that they would consider it a little bit further down the track. So Adam, what are things like at your school at the moment? To Libby's point, there is a massive teacher shortage. It is, yeah, you're right, it's a crisis. Mm. Um, we're teaching amongst uh, just subjects across the board, subjects we're not trained in, completely teaching out of field. I'm science trained, but I'm teaching, like I said before, I'm teaching everything from English to maths to RE to, I taught Italian last year. Now I've got Italian heritage, but I wasn't great at teaching Italian. And that's just uh, something we are all all doing because, you know, you need to step up and you need to not prove yourself as such, like you said, Blake, but you, you need to show that you're willing to buy in. And if, if you're doing that, the, the students are also willing to do that. They're also willing to go the step further and see that you're working hard and you, they know that you're overworked sort of thing. Um, so they're going to sort of step up in their own capacity as well. But does this also go to Blake's point about opportunity? Mm. I mean, you can spin this the other way and say, well, is this a chance for you to be able to trial different and exciting things and to have a go um, at things. Has that been the case for you? Well, clearly it has. But Yeah. Well, I suppose my experience started um, at my college because they were the first year of their school, um, St. Anne's, was my first year of placement there. So okay. things lined up perfectly. And when I applied to do my practicum there, my first day was on a year seven camp. So they just threw me in the deep end. And I think that's sort of proved myself to to be open to the change, to be open to the new way of doing things and a new school. So I suppose that, to your point, Blake, really helped me out. But I've jumped at every single opportunity that I've had. Um, I've got a permission to teach teacher in my team now. And not that I'm her official mentor or anything like that, but you, know, you feel a responsibility to bring the new ones up um, in, a, in a positive way and establish themselves. That's a really interesting point because another thing we found in the research is that, again, a very high percentage not absolutely certain of the figures, but around 80% of our students said that their induction 
and their mentoring into the school was better than urban schools. And once again, it seemed to be around this more relaxed environment. Some of the schools were not as big, but there was a great effort put in to ensuring that our students understood what the culture of the school's mm. about, who can support them, what opportunities they can get involved in. And they felt that the mentors weren't in such a rush to run out the door and happy to sit down and have a deeper conversation about, well, how did how do you, did your day go and what have you learned and what are your questions now and where do you hope to go next? So it's a really positive finding. Just a little more time when they're not rushing home to fight the traffic and all that sort of thing. I think but, that but, could be true. But maybe there's something more to that. Do you find that, Adam? That Absolutely. Like my mentor from back in my final year of uni um, when I was on my replacement, he's still my mentor and it's been five, four or five years um, and I will still rely on him until he retires or whenever it might be because he's been so valuable to me, a mentor in, in work and a mentor in life. And, you know, that's that's what I want to be moving forward for for new teachers in the space as well because you, you can establish a culture and you can establish a culture within the school that feeds out into the community. And if all schools in the same regional context are doing that, then you've got a great little community there. A number of students commented to me in focus group discussions we had that the experience has been much more on the learners mm. rather than the testing and that many of the units that they're teaching are more focused on rather than we've got to get through this content but the much stronger objectives about what's the purpose of all of this. And we had quite a long discussion about how they'd really rethought what are the central goals for us as teachers in schools. And I found that very powerful because mm. that came through quite often in the student focus groups that we conducted. So goals for education and goals for learning become Both. Yeah. more Very central. important rather than, you know, what what's the content of the lesson tomorrow? What is it that's going to be purposeful for these young people in this environment to help them to take the next steps in their learning journey. Questions like that that are really important for a beginning teacher to have an opinion mm. on. Does that resonate with you, Adam? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. It, even we were talking before, Beck, it, it is a slower pace and that's that's why I love it so much. Not slower as in there's, there's still obviously high demands in terms of curriculum and assessment and everything like that, but the way that we go about it might be slightly different. I, I like the word relaxed that you used there. Mm. Well, it was very relaxed on the very first day I arrived at San Remo College. I won't tell you what which campus. They're all wonderful. And I went up to one of the students. I said, oh, look, we're a bit lost. We're not sure where the office is. And this lady turned around and said, well, I'm the principal dressed in her pyjamas because it was pyjama day at the school. Come on in. And the whole school was dressed in their pyjamas. And she said, just give me a couple of minutes why I'll, I'll go and get changed. And she said, oh, forget it. Everyone else is in their pyjamas. Let's just go on with the professional <laughs> learning, learning session. And it was just so refreshing to see how connected the students were in their pyjamas with the teachers. It was difficult for us to know where the boundaries were, but it became a very positive session. It was a, a, a professional learning session on building positive relationships, funnily enough. And the, the people we started with were the young people. I think learner voice and agency is a big priority in this mm. community mm. where kids are often having quite a lot of difficulties with home life, with intergenerational poverty and unemployment. 
uh, with the the issues we're all facing with the cost of living these days, for school to be joyful and for schools to be a place really focused on flourishing of young people in a myriad of ways is really, really wonderful. So Adam, is, is student agency a bit of a priority at your school as well? Huge. And within, like, because uh, St Anne's is an inquiry-based learning school, a uh, Catholic school as well. But yeah, agency is everything. Um, student voice within their learning program, student voice within uh, you know, if they need additional support, yeah, everything ties back to the student and how they can be best set up to be learners. Did yeah. you find that too, Blake? Well, yeah, particularly because, you know, there are certain gaps in sort of living standards, socioeconomic status, particularly between metropolitan and rural areas. You know, when you're in that setting, you've got to satisfy those sort of basic needs before you can even think about the learning and so really being there as a person and connecting with the student as a person first before you even get into learning outcomes or whatever you've got planned for the day, I remember that being a really strong driving consideration and factor in how I approached my work day to day. That also connects to the point I was making earlier about it's so important that the young people know what it is they're learning and why they're learning it and how they're learning it because you can't have agency if you can't answer those questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And it's a very different way of framing what goes on in classrooms from, you know, open up your book to page 55 and answer mm. the questions at the end. There's none of that going on in these school communities where um, there are so many efforts made by the very hardworking school leaders and teachers who invited our students in to have conversations in what they now call their professional learning community about the purpose of learning and what their role could be in that journey. So I'm hearing uh, lots of opportunity for teachers, lots of discussion with teachers, lots of freedom, uh, lots of opportunity to take really well-supported risks and to discuss them and break them down, great mentoring, good opportunities with and for students. But what might be some of the challenges of working in a rural school? It's a really interesting point and it actually links back to something I wanted to ask you, Libby, about when you were talking earlier about the induction and the pre-service teachers sort of perceptions of the culture within the school. You, you spoke about sort of how they felt quite supported and, tra- and how they transitioned into that environment. Were there perhaps any instances of, say, more culture shock? Because that sort of oh, is more how I would characterise my experience going into the rural school, even though I grew up in a country area and moved a couple of hours away when I first started my teaching it was such a different dynamic and such a different culture. And because I was away from my established support networks, like that I think took a toll on me and my experience, but I'd be keen to hear. Mm. Well, when you, of course, in any rural community, there's going to be diversity and that diversity takes many forms. One of them is each child's own family Mm. background And sadly, there are all the things that you will expect in rural disadvantage around levels of domestic violence, levels of quite extreme poverty and hardship that can often be connected to issues of mental health in the family. Um, There were also issues which some of the school leaders spoke about in that relationship professional learning session I told you about, coping with things like gender identity that came up for some young people and we had one wonderful 
session where a young person spoke really openly about the struggles that she had had in terms of her identity. So I guess most of those kind of struggles can be in any school, but you do get extremes. You'll get the very well-to-do in a community and those that are struggling far more than any of us would want any young child to have to endure. Blake, can you talk about your experience a bit more? I'm very curious to hear about this. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one and I don't look back on it and wish it had never happened mm. because there were really positive aspects and I think it was quite a formative experience in shaping who I am now as an educator. But I also don't think I was prepared for the sort of challenges that I faced and and particularly those ones around dealing with those extreme levels of disadvantage. Mm. That was that was quite shocking mm. to me, but I think also when I when I moved to a rural area to teach and was sort of disconnected from my previous lives geographically and trying to find this sense of who I was in this new new town where there perhaps was a little bit of a culture clash between what I wanted and and the, and the town, I, I felt like I lost myself a little bit. And and in the end, the right decision for me and the right decision for my students was was not for me to teach in that school anymore. But I I really look back on that experience with with a level of fondness now. Um, yeah, is that sort of yeah. what you were thinking? With your students, did they did they welcome you into their community? Yes and no. Um, there was, in some sense, sort of a oh, you're you're a bit new, you're a bit mm. different. That's and that sort of caused some initial barriers. Mm. But like any good teaching, sort of overcoming those barriers through building relationships was a really powerful way of of, of connecting myself in. In the end, it was more of a decision of where did I just want to be yeah. at that point, and mm. it was and it was not the right decision for me. I think perhaps because I didn't get the chance to check out the town beforehand, to check out the school, to be able to immerse myself and experience it before making that decision to go. It was more of a, a placement. You're going here, um, so I think that was probably the first and main misstep mm. that, that led to that experience not going for longer than it did. Because I think in terms of the barrier, I, I'd skipped that. I had students that I went to high school with their older brothers and sisters and I knew the families and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't find that challenge as much as you did. Mm. Um, and if you contrast it to my final year placement where I taught at my high school, yeah. same entirely the same experience as yours. I think it was just because it was starting fresh mm. It was, there's, there's a level of work that has to go on behind the scenes and separate from the school for that to be a more positive and supported experience, which goes to your point, which is what I was sort of resonating on earlier when you're going, there's this really strong induction and there was really purposeful community building. Um, and I was mm. sort of thinking, oh, that, I wish I had that. That would have been wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Although it's really interesting because I spoke about that sort of nested community, the community of the house where the students live together. And some of them, you know, they're pretty young. They're in third year. They might be about 20. Some of them said, oh, I don't know how I'm going to eat because my mum does all the cooking, you know. <laughs> but a number did comment that a challenge for them if they were to decide after their fourth year or their second year of their MTeach to go and apply for a rural school would be they might not be 
in that nest mm. of the rented house down somewhere around Phillip Island or Inverloch or Lee and Gather, wherever it might be. Uh, although when we had focus groups with their mentors and the pre-service teachers, they said, oh, teachers often live in shared houses down here and that works really well, although sometimes we really need to get away from each other. <laughs> but that social support is always important when you're working in what is a very high-pressure profession. I think your point around sharing the houses and stuff, It and I was, what I was going to say on the opposite of what we were talking about before, Blake, there's a level of saturation, like it almost becomes your life that you know these kids so well that you do see them down the street and sometimes you're like, oh, goodness, I don't want to see you at the moment. I just need to be away. I need to go home. I need to not be around people mm. because you still are a person. You still need to live your own life and, yeah, it gets a bit saturating sometimes. You get really good at picking which Woolies aisle to go yeah. down to avoid the students. Yeah, yeah. wearing hoodies and hats <laughs> and all that sort of stuff so you don't see them. Yeah, absolutely. So then, Adam, what is, what's the relationship like with your colleagues at the moment? Well, there are colleagues, um, so that's a good start because obviously not in all schools, there's teacher shortage and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's great. We have a really good culture um, at, at my work and, you know, you go out for Friday night drinks or whatever it might be and, you know, we all get around each other and just love what we do and so supportive when we're there. But, you know, when you do need to take that time away or you do need a mental health day or something like that, everyone's really supportive and, you know, you turn your emails off and you, you, you just be yourself at home or whatever you choose to do with that day, it's crucial. Okay. So there's definitely something in the support network that mm. you have to set up for yourself as a teacher. Particularly you have to work you... toward it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's All not right. something that just comes overnight. Um, you have to be across your colleagues and you have to back them and they back you. Yeah, for sure. It's a leap of faith. Absolutely. Every now and then. I remember the, like the first day I started, I started with two other beginning teachers mm. and the leap of faith I took was just sending out an email saying, hey, let's, we're three new beginning teachers, let's chat. And they were the greatest support network mm. I had at that school. And it may or may not have happened without that sort of leap of faith to go, let's do this. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying, absolutely. But, Blake, is it, do you think it's more so important to have that network in a rural school because you don't necessarily have that family or your your other networks with you? Is that sort of what I'm hearing, that you actually have to put some work into building it if you're going to make that decision to go into a rural school? Yeah, precisely. It's part of the decision? Mm. And and thinking about, you know, where you can draw those sources of support from, whether that be colleagues at school, but also connections outside of school. So you can disconnect a little bit more. You know, I built some wonderful connections with other musicians. So I could go and separate myself from that work life because I was seeing students down the street. And so it was a nice, that was a nice way to shut off from that work life as well. So you're saying you're seeing students down the street and I heard Libby talking before about, you know, making contributions to families and all that sort of thing. Is it a different relationship with parents and families as well when you're in the rural, when you're in a rural school community to what it is if you're in metropolitan or urban? In my experience, it's definitely a close, much closer relationship with parents and carers in the community. That could be, uh, you know, related to a number of factors. One, I started teaching just at the beginning of COVID, so there was a lot more of that communication and, and connection. But also the schools are often smaller, so you can you have more time and more capacity to build those sorts of connections compared with a larger school where it might be a little bit more impersonal. That's sort of what springs to mind immediately for me. Sometimes you've got parents of the children who are teachers in the school True, because yeah. they live in a small town and that's just what happens. Yeah. 
I've got about, I think for my cohort of year nines, I think there's about seven uh, parents that work at the college as well. So it, it can cross some lines sometimes where I'm talking to you with your parent hat on at the moment, yeah. or I'm talking to you with your teacher hat on at the moment. Um, the lines can get a bit blurry, but mm. I think um, from my experience uh, doing practice at schools in the metro area, not that I interacted with a lot of parents, but just from the discussions with other teachers, parents in metro, I've heard they're a bit, how do I word this, fluffier, I suppose, that aren't, they can read the uh, teacher talk a little bit, whereas parents in regional settings don't really deal with that very well. They they kind of just want you to get to the point. They don't want the, they don't want the bullshit, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's something that I've found at least. How have you guys found that? Yeah, I was sort of giggling to myself as you were chatting then. It, it's always an interesting dynamic when you're calling home. Mm. One, you know, and they don't want that teacher talk, but also two, when you know you're calling a colleague, you're going, I have to call you about your child. Yeah. Not as a colleague, but as a parent. As a parent yeah. It's a really interesting dynamic the first time it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone said to you, came up to you and said, you know, I'm thinking about or I'm considering making the move and going to teach in a rural school, what would your advice be, Adam? Do it for sure. Absolutely. I love it. Obviously, there are massive pros and there's massive cons, but it just, it's been the best thing for me, for my mental health, going back to a small country town, not the shepherd and small, but a country town and yeah, just living where you work and loving every aspect of it. Blake, what do you reckon? Definitely jump into it if it's something that interests you, but see if there's opportunities to explore it and sort of test out the waters a little bit to see if it's right for you. Um, I think it can be a bit intense and often sometimes a bit off-putting if you jump straight in with sort of no experience or no connections. So taking time to ease yourself in and check that it's right for you, I think, would be my main tip. And I totally agree with that. And I just hope we can get good funding to continue these rural programs because that's really the issue. We could send hundreds of our pre-service teachers to rural communities, but they can't afford to pay rent in the city and in the rural community they're going to, and they mm -hmm. stop their jobs. So it can't be generally for more than three or four weeks at a time that our pre-service teachers can go. We're exploring other ideas, for example, having them billeted by members of the teaching staff, but there's something pretty unique about mm. that shared housing situation with their peers because nothing beats peer reflection at the end of the day where you can actually debrief with someone who's had that same experience and badly needs to debrief mm -hmm. yep. as well Absolutely. about their experiences. Because people who are not involved in teaching, they just don't have the same insights into what the rigours and the challenges are when mm. you're working with little kids from anything from three years of age to year 12. Well, thank you all very, very much for coming in, having a chat with me today about working in rural schools and for taking us through the wonderful opportunities that are available um, and are open to both pre-service teachers and to those looking for work in the rural areas. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Join us next episode as we explore developing and sustaining strong relationships with parents, carers and the wider community and the impact it can have on supporting effective learning. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and follow us on Instagram at Monash underscore education, 
Twitter at Monash Education and Facebook at Education Monash. And tell us what you thought of today's episode using the hashtag Let's Talk Teaching Podcast. For more information on short courses and undergraduate and postgraduate study options at Monash University, head to the links in our show notes. We're grateful for the support of Monash University's Faculty of Education in producing this podcast. And thanks again for listening to Let's Talk Teaching. Thank you.